This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 17 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, I'm going to share with you some fantastic tools that let students fully develop their passions. About a month ago, I wrote a book called The Teacher's Guide to Tech. And in that book, I explore a whole bunch of different technology tools. We look at classroom management tools, social media, things that you can do to get parents engaged, uh, ways that you can give students feedback sort of online. And when I was writing that book, one of the types of tools that really fascinated me were these tools that allowed students or anybody really to take whatever it is that they do or that they're interested in and really go far with it, really take it to the next level in the same way that someone who is a professional would do. So for example, if someone is a musician, there are ways that they can actually get their music out there into the public on their own instead of having to wait for a record company to recognize them the way that they used to. Or if someone is a writer, there are tools out there now that allow them to write their own book and publish it and sell it on their own without having to find a publisher. So this collection of tools that I'm going to talk about in this episode um, is just something that has a, so much possibility because if you find a student, which you're probably going to ultimately be able to find most of your students have interests or passions or things that, that really could be shared with the world, if you can point them to these tools and give them a little time to learn them or even just point them to these tools, make them aware of them, then you will really be giving them such a gift because you're letting them follow the path that maybe they're intended to be going on for the rest of their lives. And for some kids, this really is the key to motivating them when they find the thing that they're really into. Now, there is a, a, a teaching approach that's very popular right now, um, and it's basically known by two different names. It's either uh, Genius Hour or 20% Time. And basically the practice is where uh, teachers set aside regular time uh, during class or during the week for students to just work on independent projects that are things that they're just interested in. So it's, you know, learning a new language or, you know, studying um, printmaking or learning chess or whatever it is that they're really interested in doing. The time is set aside for those kids to just keep doing that. So the tools in this episode would be perfect for Genius Hour or 20% time because they, they give them, they give them uh, the tools to actually do something with them, to make things with, with their talents and with their interests. And all you have to do as the teacher is point them to the tools and also just let them know that if they go online and look for instructional videos, they can basically find video tutorials to teach them how to use any of these. So you don't really need to learn how to use any of them yourself. As their teacher, you just need to be aware of them so that you can steer your students toward them. So the kinds of tools that I'm going to be talking about today are book publishing tools, image making tools, photo editing, video production and sharing, blogging and website building, podcasting, and screencasting. And if you're not sure what screencasting is, I'm going to explain it in a little bit. So I'm going to put links to all the tools I talk, talk about in the show notes. If you just go to cultofpedagogy.com and click podcasts, 
and then click on episode 17, you will uh, go to the page that has all the links to everything that I mentioned here. I will probably mention the links also when I'm talking, but if I forget, they'll all be there so, and you don't feel the need to write everything down while you're listening. So the first set of tools are book publishing tools. I'm gonna to talk about something called Lulu, Mixbook, and Storybird. So the first one is Lulu. Lulu is a self-publishing print-on-demand service. And here is how it works. Somebody writes a book, they upload it to Lulu. It's a little more complicated than I'm sounding, but I'm gonna really oversimplify it so you just get the basic idea. And then Lulu helps you to distribute it through sellers like Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or whatever distributor you wanna do. But here's the thing, you don't pay any money. You, you create this product and then if people buy it through Amazon, suppose it's a $10 book, then you get some of that money and then Lulu takes a cut for their part of it for the production. These can be print books or they can be ebooks. And so there are regular writers out there now who are publishing their books through services like Lulu. Kids could do this too. You know, if you have a student, I can remember I had a, a seventh grade student who was writing a novel. Back then, there were no print-on-demand services like Lulu, so I couldn't have. But now, I think I would have steered him toward this. I would have said, do you know you could actually publish a book and try to sell it? I think that would be a really exciting opportunity for, uh, for a student. So that is Lulu. Another tool is called Mixbook. Mixbook is more geared toward images. And, and with Mixbook, you are actually creating either an online book or a print book, like a hardcover or paperback book, and sort of combining pictures with words. It could be all words, but this is really um, more visual. And these are more expensive. You actually have to pay to print these off for yourself. This is not designed for people to sell their books to others, but it's something that you would do to create something um, for your own use. So one way of using it would be to create sort of like a memory book or something like that from the year and actually have a copy sent to yourself. But another really good use of it is to just create online, online books that combine images and words. And if students are really uh, more into thinking that they'd like to create children's books or that sort of thing, something like Mixbook would be a really great tool for that because they could practice without ever having, again, to spend any money on it. And they could build a whole gallery of, of books where they you know sort of upload images. It could be their own photography. It could be um, their own pictures of their own artwork with just descriptions. There's a lot of possibilities for these types of things. But when you're finished, if you don't order a print book, you could just have a link to this online book where you just sort of turn the pages and you look at everything looks really good. And it's another medium for students who are, are interested in the idea of creating books. They, they have this sort of blank uh, template to use to, to do whatever they want to do with it. So that's mixbook.com. The third book publishing tool is called Storybird. And this is a really interesting concept. It, it would be really good for, for much younger kids. What Storybird does is they get art from professional artists. And it is all different kinds of art but a lot of it is geared toward younger kids. And so what a person will do is they will go and select, you can look through all these galleries of art, you select some artwork, and then you write a story that goes with it. And what you end up with is again, another sort of online, like a digital book. And what's neat is that because the artwork is professionally done, 
uh, and students will be sort of inspired by what they see in the pictures, you end up with a product that looks really good, that looks really like a professionally written book. So even a young child can write what looks like a professionally produced sort of digital storybook because Storybird will lay it all out really nicely and, and make the final product look really good. So if you have students who are really um, into writing poetry or, or short stories or even you know drama, even plays, they can package it really nicely with these Storybird stories. So that's storybird.com. Okay, so those are the book publishing tools. The next category I'm going to talk about are image making tools. The first one is called Canva. This is just C-A-N-V-A.com. Canva's focus is really on um, almost like graphic design type artwork. So it would be the kind of stuff that you see like on Pinterest or uh, banner ads or posters. They give you, uh, you can choose whatever size canvas you want. It's all on the screen. And then they give you a whole library of all different kinds of images that you can just drag over onto this blank canvas and you can you can write text on it and you know rearrange the images however you want and, and you can end up with a pretty interesting um, piece of artwork. So when you have some students who are really good at things like making posters or they, they like the idea of making like online advertisements for things, steer them toward Canva because they can really play around with stuff. And the nice thing is that you're not using up a lot of paper. You can just change things and erase things as you want and, and you don't have to keep scrapping your ideas and throwing them in the actual trash can. You can just keep experimenting. And that type of a skill is something that's really going to become more and more in demand as the students we have right now get older because so much of what happens in the world happens online and everything that happens online needs images to go with it it needs graphic design to go with it so even a student who's not necessarily good at drawing can use canva to really create uh, some interesting visual art that could be used for other things that could be used as a book cover for the book publishing thing that they're doing if that's something they want to be doing. It can be used as images for some of the other projects that I'm going to talk about a little bit later in this podcast. So just being able to design things graphically is, is a skill that is going to be constantly in demand. So if you find a student who's into that, show them what, show them what Canva can do and, and that will help them to be able to keep growing. If they are good illustrators, you may want to steer them toward this tool. It is called Inkscape. Now, all of the tools that I've talked about so far are things that are, they, they live online. You go to the website, you do the thing, and then you have a product that is also online. Inkscape is a little bit different because it is a software that you actually have to download, but it's free. And people who are practicing to become illustrators they have a very high opinion of Inkscape because even though it's a free product, it's actually pretty good. It's just a digital illustration software. So people who are good with illustrating with just a pencil and paper can take those same skills and actually do it on a computer screen and end up with you know a, a digital image that they can then use in a lot of different ways. It can be used as graphic design for other things or they can start to build a portfolio of their drawings. They could share a collection of their illustrations on their own website. They could put them in a video portfolio. Um, there are a lot of different ways that you can sort of share your, your images. So 
if you've got students who are adept at drawing, show them Inkscape or have them download it, maybe even onto a school computer if that's allowed, or you may want to just send a quick note home to parents saying, your daughter is a great illustrator. I think she might enjoy this digital illustration tool. And, and that's it. Just let them know about it. Okay, the next collection of tools I'm going to talk about are photo editing tools. If you have students who are really into photography and they would like to learn how to do some more things with their photos, they may not be aware that they can take photos and do other stuff to them, put filters on them, and make changes to them basically to really turn them into works of art. So there are, are two that are uh, available. One of them is called PicMonkey. Actually, I shouldn't say there are two. There are two I'm going to talk about. There are others. Um, in this whole podcast, I'm just going to be talking about examples, but there are also others. And in the Teacher's Guide to Tech, I, I list a lot of the other um, similar products to the ones that I'm talking about. But this just gives you an idea. So PicMonkey is a very, very simple online service where you just basically go to their website, you upload a photo, and then you can just start doing stuff to it. You can apply um, filters to it to change the coloring or change the focus or change the mood even, the lighting of it. It's kind of interesting. You have to go and take a look at it. You can add little you know, stickers to the front of it. You can add frames around it and, and then download a new copy of your altered photo. So again, if you've got students who are into photography, they can start playing around with these tools and stretch the potential for, for their photography. Start seeing more possibilities for what they could be doing with their photography. Another tool is called Pixlr. It's P-I-X-L-R. And Pixlr is another free online tool and the reputation that it has is that it's a really good free alternative to Photoshop which is what professionals would use to edit their photos. Pixlr does a lot of what PicMonkey does but then it also does some more advanced things so Again, if a student is really interested in photography and is starting to just start learn some of the vocabulary of photography, they're going to be able to take that into Pixlr and start to really uh, even learn more about it and start being able to apply those concepts to their photos in terms of the way that they uh, change the photos. So with both of these, if you have a budding photographer in your class, just point them to either one of these sites. And it, especially if they're older and you get the sense that they really want to start taking their photography more seriously, what I am, my, my understanding is that Pixlr is good practice for Photoshop. If they're not willing to throw down a couple hundred dollars for Photoshop, they can practice with Pixlr and that will start to build the skills that they would need for Photoshop later on. If a student is not necessarily interested in taking photos, but they really like manipulating them, they're just visual people, then either of these programs would also be good for them because you don't necessarily have to have photography skills to turn photos into a work of art. So you may have some kids who do things visually with art where they, they start to do it and you just think, how do they ever even think to do that? That's so beautiful or that's so creative or interesting or grotesque or whatever it is. Let them take those skills and play with them even more with one of these tools. Okay, the next category I'm going to talk about are video production and sharing tools. We'll start by talking about video production. Before we even talk about these, let me just explain. There are so many things that a person can do with video nowadays. First of all, if you have a student who is really 
into something like filmmaking. If you notice that they like taking videos all the time of people or of, you know, or, or, or whenever you give them options for a project, they always want to pick the like, oh, let's film a little skit or something like that. That's somebody who could potentially become a filmmaker someday. So that's one thing that can be done with video. They can actually start trying to create little mini movies, whether they are sort of cinematic or storytelling type movies or um, documentaries where they're actually trying to film things that are actually happening and that are real. Or if you have somebody who's really into animation, they, you know, they like to to make sort of more creative, not necessarily reality-based, but um, animated types of, of films. That's another thing that can be done with video. Video production would also be great for a student who is a musician of any type um, or a singer. They can simply record themselves and then start to produce a series of videos that showcase those abilities. And then there's this whole other area that, of video that's getting very popular, which is that if somebody has a talent or an interest, they could make instructional or how-to videos where they are demonstrating how to do something. And these are very popular. And people who do this, some of them make a lot of money for, for simple things, things like um, decorating things or, or other household, how to fix this thing in your house, how to fix this thing in your car. But then there's also anything that is sort of physical or athletic. There are lots of sort of workout videos or fitness videos. If somebody is a, a certain type of artist and they'd like to demonstrate certain techniques, they can make instructional videos on that. So the possibilities are really just huge for video. Pretty much any interest that a student has, it can probably be channeled in some way into creating a video. Even if it's someone who is a photographer or a visual artist of still things, they could make a video montage of their work. So tons of possibilities for, for video in general. I will share with you a couple of, of really good sites where they can make these videos. One of them is called Animoto, which is a really, really simple idea. Uh, and it's, it's really uh, got a lot of instant gratification for people who don't really want to mess around a lot with editing but want to have a video done quickly. You basically just load... A bunch of photos so this would be good for somebody who does vision you know would like the, the visual montage that I just talked about you load a bunch of photos into Animoto's um, program you choose music to go with it you can add captions and then what you end up with is a, a 30 second um, uh, like a video montage with music in the background and captions that come up and you can time everything the way you want it to come up you can make longer ones, but the free program of Animoto only allows you to do 30 seconds. So if somebody really wanted to do a larger project, they could do a series of 30 second <laughs> video clips. But this could also be, if you imagine if somebody thinks that they might like to like make commercials or something like that, they could do, they could do a 30 second commercial. Um, this is just animoto.com, A-N-I-M-O-T-O. If a student is really into more animated stuff, there is a website called Powtoon, P-O-W-T-O-O-N. And Powtoon is pretty interesting because you they sort of give you kind of characters and you can kind of move them around and, and you do like a voiceover presentation almost. The end product of something like Powtoon is really, uh, almost looks kind of like a commercial. You know, you'd see a guy pop up and the voice, voiceover would come over and would, um, you know, talk to you about, you know, do you have blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, the, the scene switches and Powtoon allows you to, to manipulate all that pretty easily. 
And again, the end product is this really neat looking video. It's it's kind of hard to explain here, but it's it, it helps you animate your ideas. Now for somebody who wants to actually film things, you know, use video that they would record of themselves or of other people, they would need a more serious video editor. And um, if they are working with a, a Mac-based system, they would use a tool called iMovie, which is something that probably a lot of people are familiar with because then you load your own video clips in and you edit them. You shorten things and you move them around and you can fade in and fade out and add background music and titles and that sort of thing. If you're working in a, in a Windows-based environment, then the equivalent to that would be Windows Movie Maker. Those would be something for a more serious filmmaker or somebody who's interested in actually making uh, movies with people in it and not something that's just animated or like a video slideshow. There are a lot of other types of video creation and actually in a little bit I'm going to be talking about screencasting. So that ultimately is also a video production tool but I will get to that in just a sec. So once a person has created a video then they can move to sharing it with the rest of the world or with a limited audience if they want to set up their privacy that way. Most people are familiar with YouTube. What maybe you don't know is that anybody can set up a YouTube account. Um, it's free and it's fast and once you've set up a YouTube account you can just start loading up your own videos and and people can see them. Which you also may not know and which could benefit your students is that if you have a video that you think might actually get a lot of views you can actually earn money from advertising. This may be interesting to some of your students. If you have a student who thinks that they're creating something that's going to have a lot of popularity they could start their own YouTube channel. Now there may be age limitations, which might mean that their parent has to set up the account for them instead. But I have been pretty amazed by some of the things out there that I've seen that are making a lot of money. My daughter watches this thing called Seven, I can't remember what it's called. It's a bunch of preteen girls, basically. And they just show their bedrooms. It's not like creepy, like I shouldn't make it sound like that, but it's just like, oh look, this is the comforter that I just got. And here's a cool poster that I just got. Or they'll do stuff like, this is my morning routine. First I have cereal and then I brush my teeth. See, I'm, I mean, it's completely <laughs> ordinary stuff. But of course these girls have like cute rooms and cute clothes and stuff like that. They have millions and millions and millions of views. It's ridiculous. But they also have ads running on the bottom. Those girls probably have their colleges funded through these videos. So it's, it, can, it can turn into a serious business. If you have a student, suppose you've got a student who's really into um, bikes, you know, and they know how to fix them and they know great bike trails or whatever it is, they could do a series of videos that are showing people how to do these things, um, put them up on YouTube, attach an ad to it, and they could actually start making an income from them. If somebody just wants to share and not make any money, they don't have to have ads, but it's, it is an option on YouTube. Now there are two other video sharing sites that are also growing in popularity and have uh, both have a slightly different twist to them. Um, one that you have probably heard of is Vimeo, which is very similar to YouTube in that anybody can start an account, they can load it up and then you can share the videos. But for the most part, Vimeo does not do advertising. My understanding is that they're starting to work something like that in, but Vimeo is, is really interesting because it has a whole community of people who are much more serious aspiring filmmakers. It's, it's a more artistic 
place. And I think a lot of people who put their stuff on Vimeo are not necessarily doing it to advertise something or to earn money. They're doing it to showcase their talents. And there are communities of filmmakers on Vimeo. And this is something I just learned recently who watch each other's stuff and comment and give feedback. And so if you've got a kid who's an aspiring filmmaker, if they learn about this on Vimeo and can become part of a sort of a young filmmakers group, they can grow so much faster than they would had they not known about it. And the tools to create these videos are not even that expensive. They could do it with a smartphone. Well, not that a smartphone isn't expensive, but you get what I'm saying. It's, they don't necessarily have to have the equipment of a movie studio in order to start becoming filmmakers. So I would say if you have somebody who's into the sort of how-to types of, of films where they're just, they're really trying to like teach stuff to people, um, YouTube is a good direction to go for that. But if they, if they really are kind of artistic with their filmmaking, you may want to have them explore Vimeo a little bit more. The third video sharing site is called Vine. That's just V-I-N-E. And here's the deal with Vine. Vine, I believe, is connected to Twitter in some way. Vine videos can only be six seconds long. Six seconds. Which, to some people, may sound just ridiculous. <laughs> but it it actually, ha if you sit and watch it for a little while, it, it really becomes its own art form. Because that type of a limitation it challenges people to do some pretty interesting things. And so, again, if you have a student who's kind of clever with, with the way that they do, you know, visual things, you may want to have them take a look around Vine because it's just, again, it's I, I've seen people on Vine who have a big following now. They'll put out a brand new six-second video every day of something just really quick and, and either really funny or really creative and interesting visually, but it's just another place for somebody to start to really develop their talents. So, so far we have talked about book publishing tools, image making tools, photo editing, and video production and sharing. I've got three more categories to talk about. The next one is blogging and website building tools. And I think these could apply to any person's interest or talents, no matter what. Because if they are, as I'd said before, if they're into the arts, then they could just create a website to sort of build a portfolio of their stuff. If they're a writer, they could start a blog. If they are really, really interested in a certain subject like soccer, they could also have a blog that is not so much personal, but is more into exploring this topic. Students can even form collaborative blogs or website where a group of them together creates something. It's really, it's just such a blank slate for whatever a person is interested in. And, and it's a way of documenting that or reaching out to other people to have them um, engage with you about topics. So I think everybody, you know, most people have a pretty good idea of, of all the possibilities for blogs. So I would just like to share with you a couple of the tools that allow even the most sort of tech un, unskilled person to, to set up a, a, a website very quickly and easily and free. So uh, the first one is Blogger. And Blogger is, has been around quite a while and it's, uh, it's run by Google. 
And you basically, with a few clicks, can sort of open up a website and 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 have it up and running. Um, it it's sort of limited in terms of design. Some of the designs on Blogger look a little bit dated, uh, but it's functioning. And with a little bit of of work, you can actually get a website to look pretty good. But a person does not need to know really any sort of special computer coding or anything like that to to start a website on Blogger. Another one is called Weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y. This is another one that's fairly simple and easy to use to get a website up and running. With a lot of these, a student will need to go to video tutorials to learn how to really set them up. But they have, the thing that's really nice about a lot of these is that they've got, they have themes set up for you. In other words, what you do is type in the title of your website and you know what words you want to appear in certain sections and then you click you know okay and then you open up your website and everything looks really nice and professional it's that's the thing that's really kind of satisfying about these types of tools you're not um, you're not designing it from top to bottom. You're not saying put a put a red bar across here and then make these words white and then do this over here. That stuff is already kind of set up when you choose your theme. You choose a, a collection of designs that look good together and then you say, okay, that's I want it to look like that. And then if you change your mind, you can switch to another one. You can switch to another one until you get a theme that really kind of fits how you like it. So a lot of these are just, you know, you kind of fill in the blank. If you can type, you can create a website. So Blogger is one, Weebly is one. Another one is Wix, W-I-X. Wix is probably the easiest out of all of them in terms of just typing a few things in, uh, clicking a button, and then there you have a website. The only problem with Wix is that it's hard to change things once you've gotten started. So Wix would be a really good program for uh, somebody who just wanted to do almost almost a temporary short-term type of a website or something that's not going to change a lot um, just to advertise, um, you know, if you had a... Uh, like a hair salon and you wanted to just advertise your hair salon and you, and you weren't going to be going in and making a lot of changes all the time. Wix would be a good place for doing something like that. For blogging, it's possible to do, to use Wix, but it, um, I, I, from what I'm understanding, it may be frustrating to use it um, if you ever wanted to make changes down the line. So I would recommend Weebly for a blog as opposed to Wix. The nice thing about Wix though is that it's really pretty. So if somebody only wanted to use it to sort of upload photos or, you know, showcase like lots of videos or something, that, that may be a good option to explore. But really, I think anybody who wants to start a website should take a look at all of these until they figure out which one is going to work best for them. The last one is called WordPress. This is what I use for my blog. Um, it's all one word, WordPress. WordPress would be a good place to send students to start a blog. However... It, there's a little bit more of a learning curve with it. It's not quite as easy. But if, it's, if this is a student who you think could handle learning some more complicated technology stuff, then it would be a good place to go. It's extremely popular. A lot of really well-known websites use WordPress as their you know, engine basically to, to, to run their, um, their websites. And if, if you ever think that they may have a future in, you know, in more serious website building, 
then WordPress would be the place for them to start getting their feet wet anyway, because if they can do that, they'll be able to understand a lot of other things too. But if, if you just have a student who you think might just enjoy creating a website sort of quickly, then I would suggest using something like Weebly or Wix instead, because it will um, not be as difficult. Okay, two more types of tools left. We have got podcasting and screencasting. What you're listening to right now is a podcast, so I'm assuming that you already know what a podcast is if you're listening to me, but there are so many different kinds of podcasts out there. There are opinion politics types of podcasts. There are how-to podcasts. Some of them are only five minutes long. Some of them are close to two hours long per episode. So podcasting would be a really interesting way for some of your students, especially those who like to talk, to start getting their ideas out there. If you have somebody who has a lot of opinions and they like to share them, you may want to suggest to them that they try starting a podcast. And probably the best way to get students interested in podcasting would be to have them start listening to some. And, you know, you would need to find some that are appropriate for kids, but if they just, because there are a lot that are not. (laughs) But to have them start exploring what's out there and realizing that they could actually, they could create a podcast and load it onto iTunes and start to have a following even, have their own subscribers. I think there would be an interest out there if uh, if a student, for example, wanted to do a weekly podcast where they just reviewed the latest music that was out there, maybe played short clips and talked about, you know, what they think about what's new and what's going on in that, or a sports podcast, or um, a podcast about technology, a podcast about gaming. I know that so many people or so many kids out there are into video games. A student could just start to create a weekly 10-minute podcast where they talk about a different video game each time. Or if they just stick to one specific, suppose you have a Minecraft enthusiast, they could just give Minecraft tips each week. Five-minute podcast. I mean, it could be really anything at all. There are there are even photography podcasts, which you would think wouldn't work in sound, but it there really is just every topic under the sun. So for a student who's interested or, or comfortable with talking, have them consider podcasting. So here are some tools that can help them to produce podcasts. What I'm using right now is something called Audacity. It's A-U-D-A-C-I-T-Y. It is just a an audio recording tool. And you just uh, open it up and you press record and you get your microphone set up and you start recording. And then when you're done, you press stop and then you can edit it and shorten it or whatever. When you're done, you can save it as an MP3 file that you can then um, share with others in, in a lot of different ways. Loading a podcast onto iTunes is kind of a complicated step. But if you have a student who really is interested in doing that, it's not that difficult to find the information. You can basically just Google how to get your podcast on iTunes. And there are lots and lots of um, uh, articles out there that show you exactly how to do it. But if they don't need to necessarily go that far yet, if they just want to try it, or if you want to give it as an assignment even, they can just turn in the MP3 file and you can just listen to it right there on your computer. Or there is another site called Audio Boom. It's just A-U-D-I-O-B-O-O-M. And what they do is they basically let people sort of have their own kind of channel. You set it up kind of the same way that you would set up like a Facebook page. You have a profile page and a little bit of information about yourself. And then on your profile page is just uh, sort of box after box that um, people can click on. And that's a podcast recording. You can have a little image that goes with it. And then below it is like a little play button. And the person can, who's listening can just play it and, and listen to your podcast. For Audio Boom, a free recording 
is uh, limited to 10 minutes long, but you can have as many 10-minute 10, 10 uh, podcasts or recordings as you want to. Now, these could be songs. These could just be regular audio recordings or uh, spoken word. But it's a it's a really neat little community. It's a, it's a pretty cool place for somebody who doesn't really want to mess around with like it's kind of complicated to get a podcast onto iTunes. I will I will admit that. But this would be such a great place to get started because you just upload your recording to Audio Boom and you can add a, an image to it if you like and then it's there and then that's it. And then you can send people links to it. Even you can say go over and check out my Audio Boom page and people can go and listen to all of your recordings. So I, I just I discovered it not too long ago and I think it's just the neatest uh, the neatest website. One other podcasting tool that I wanted to share with you is not specifically podcasting, but it's related. Um, it is a website called Jewelbeat, J-E-W-E-L-B-E-A-T. And what Jewelbeat is, is a place where you can buy music because a lot of people who do sound recordings like to have a little intro music or a little exit music. And you have to actually get that from somewhere. Now, there are there are places that sell royal or sorry, where you can get royalty free music, but it's kind of complicated with the copyright. What I like about Jewelbeat is for a small amount of money, like 99 cents per recording, you can download, uh, you know, like a like a 30 second clip of this is where I got the intro and exit music for my podcast, um, a short clip of music that you are not uh, obliged to give credit to the artist or anything. The person who created it is basically saying, I'm going to sell this to Jewelbeat and anybody can use it for whatever they want. And so it's a it's a nice way of getting a little bit. And they've got hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of recordings. So that's a nice place if somebody says, hey, I want to have one of those little like introductory songs or something like that, because they're not supposed to use, you know, professionally done music. They're not supposed to just like download their favorite song off the, you know, off of iTunes or whatever and use that. Uh, they can actually get in trouble for violating copyright for doing that. So you need to have music that was intended for for things like podcasts and commercials and that sort of thing. That's called royalty-free music. So one place that you can get that is a place called Jewelbeat. Okay, last set of tools. These are screencasting tools. Screencasting, if you don't know, is that is if you've ever gone on YouTube and watched a video where somebody shows you how to do something on their computer, what they're using is a screencasting tool to do that. It Screencasting basically records whatever is going on on your computer. And you can talk into a microphone and do a voiceover at the same time. It's a really, really helpful tool, not only if it's something, like if you have kids who are really into tech and, and they find that they're constantly showing other kids how to do stuff, you can encourage them to start making screencast recordings of the things that they're always teaching people how to do. If, they're, if they've got you know, other students who are always just like, well, how do you do this thing? They can just make a quick recording. You can store it somewhere on um, in the classroom and then everybody can just go and check that. So it's good for that. It's good for demonstrating things online. But screencasting is also really good for um, creating videos. I have a YouTube channel for my own website, and I make a lot of videos that show people how to um, use different kinds of instructional strategies. And a lot of them are animated. You know, if I've got you arranging students in one area of the room and then have you move them, I actually have a picture of little dots that move across the room. I use PowerPoint for that. I just have little circles on the PowerPoint and then I, it's kind of complicated how you do it on PowerPoint, but it's a PowerPoint. Um, or if I've got words that pop up on the screen. And so what I do to create those is I make the PowerPoint, then I set it in slideshow mode and I use a screencasting software to actually just record it while I talk. 
So there are a lot of possibilities for creating things with screencasting software. So I'm just going to tell you about two screencasting tools. There are a lot of them out there, but I'm going to tell you about two that are real simple ones. One, there are a lot of free web-based ones where you just go to the website, you sort of sign up for free, and then you get this recorder where you can just record things right from the website kind of. The one that, one that I like the most is called Screencast-O-Matic. And the reason I like it is just because it's really not that complicated. It would be a great place for someone to start practicing doing screencasts. The other tool that I'd like you to know about is called Explain Everything. And this is just for tablets. It's for, um, or even smartphones. It's a way of basically recording while you're on your iPad. Um, Explain Everything is, I, I have not personally used it, so but I'm just aware of it. And I know that a lot of people are working on tablets. It's a way of basically creating a screen recording right on on your iPad while you manipulate objects. So that was that I'm not going to really explain how it works, but um, that would be another one to look into, especially if you and your students have a lot of tablets in your classroom as opposed to laptops or, or computers. So those are two that I would look into, Screencast-O-Matic or Explain Everything. Both of those allow you to um, basically record a video of your voice and the screen doing something and then you save it as an mp4 file. mp4 is what most video files are. Um, a sound file is an mp3 and a video is an mp4. So, And then you can take that video and do anything with it. You can upload it to YouTube or put it on Vimeo or whatever it is. These tools, I think, are so exciting because they really can take kids out of student mode and make them full participants and, and, and help them to really start to, to, to behave in the same way that, that somebody who's already pursuing their career is pursuing it. All of these tools, plus a lot more, pretty much each one I've said has alternatives too. I, ha I describe these in a lot more detail in my book, The Teacher's Guide to Tech. For each one, there's also a link to a video that demonstrates the tool in use. So uh, if you're interested in the book, you would just go to teachersguidetotech.com. All one word, no apostrophe. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while and you're enjoying it, please head over to iTunes and give me a rating. This will really help make the podcast more visible to new listeners. If you have any thoughts for the show, for future episodes, or for articles that you'd like to see on my website, please go to cultofpedagogy.com, click about and contact, and you can send me an email right through there. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.